I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female, where every week I speak with women change makers who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help you. My guest at this bonus episode is Deborah Gillis, president and CEO of CAMAGE Foundation. As a recognized thought leader on gender equality, diversity, and inclusion, Deborah has dedicated her career to driving social change. Prior to joining CAMAGE, she was president and CEO of Catalyst, a global nonprofit that helps build workplaces that work for women. Deborah began her career in the public sector, where her early work focused on employment equity, anti racism, and LGBTQ. T2 plus rights. She went on to become a consultant and practice leader with global professional service firms where she championed initiatives to mentor women. She also worked in the Nova Scotia government and stood as a candidate for elected office. This episode, along with several more this month, is presented in partnership with CAMH and their new Women Mind initiative. Women Mind is a community of philanthropists and thought leaders tackling the unique gender issues that underrepresented people face when it comes to their mental health. An initiative like Women Mind at CAMH is critical to address the gender inequities we face when it comes to mental health. Find out more about CAMH and Women Mind by visiting the link in episode notes or go to camh.ca. Deborah, it's a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for joining me on The Brennis Female today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. I actually want to start by asking you, and, and this is the way we start uh, most of these conversations, we're going to go back in time a little bit. And I'd love to hear about your professional journey up to this point. And I'm especially interested in hearing uh, where did your interest in mental health come from um, and and perhaps there was a specific anecdote or a specific part of your journey that, that brought you in this field? Well, um, I'll take you back in time a little bit for sure. Uh, my career has been a bit of a winding road. Um, I've done many different things over the course of my career, but I feel like each step has built toward where I am today. So my first job out of university was uh, working on the negotiation of the Meech Lake and then the Charlottetown Constitutional Accords. I joined uh, the public sector after studying um, federal provincial relations, constitutional law in my master's degree and had a great interest in Quebec's place in Canada. So interesting to be chatting with you from Montreal today. Um, and from there, in my early days in the public sector, I worked on a number of uh, social justice issues on the policy side. So I was part of uh, work that was done on legislation to extend benefits to same-sex partners, on employment equity legislation, on work around anti-racism and support for Indigenous communities. So I had that work very foundational in my first uh, jobs out of, uh, as I said, as I finished university. From there, I went to the private sector and spent a time working in consulting for two different firms. And I did what I call a stint in politics. I was chief of staff to a provincial leader. I ran in a provincial election as a candidate. 
um, and uh, and then found myself um, being diagnosed following my first mammogram with breast cancer. And that became a really life-changing moment for me where I reevaluated everything in my life and through what is really a serendipitous set of uh, events was interviewed for a role at Catalyst Canada. And for your listeners, Catalyst is an organization that supports women's advancement um, to business leadership. I became the leader of the uh, Catalyst Canada office. I spent 12 years at Catalyst, including my last few years there based in New York as the CEO, the global CEO um, of the organization. And from there, I returned home to Canada to take on this role at um, CAMH Foundation. The consistency throughout my career is really this advocacy around making a difference for other people in many different ways. Um, and being part of organizations or movements that support all people having an opportunity to live to their full potential. And for me, mental health is an extension of that work. I see it very much as an issue of advocating for justice and fairness. And like many, many Canadians uh, across this country, had personal experience in my own family, in my network of friends and associates, uh, people who had lived experience with mental health issues. I saw firsthand the impact of stigma of people being afraid to talk openly about their um, their mental health issues and to seek the help and support that they needed. And so moving into this role um, just feels like an extension of many things that I'd done in the past, but an opportunity to make a difference on one of the issues that I think is the most pressing and important facing um, the world today. Um, so one of the initiatives uh, that that CAMH has uh, put together is Women Mind. Um, and I'd love to hear more about why you felt it was important to address women and mental health and tell me more about some of the concrete impact and initiatives that Women Mind is having. And it's, you know, perhaps uh, a really good timing that you're asking me about this initiative today as we record this interview. It's International Day of Women and Girls in Science. And, and that was really in many ways part of the impetus behind Women Mind. It built in some ways on my 12 years of experience at Catalyst, where I had seen so many examples of the barriers facing women in their careers. Um, certainly the lack of representation or, or opportunities for women in STEM careers. And so as I came into my work at CAMH, it was not a surprise to me to, to learn, first of all, that Women in science, researchers in the healthcare field face, met, face many of those similar biases as they look to advance their careers. And of course, I also learned that many of the treatments that are in place in healthcare, both uh, mental health and physical health, have been disproportionately tested on men and not um, equitably studied on women. I learned also that women experience depression, anxiety, and trauma to a greater extent than men across different countries and settings. And so I saw an opportunity to do something special, to create a community of women philanthropists 
who cared about the issues both of women's mental health and advancing women's careers. And so we created Women Mind um, with this in mind to close the gaps um, by supporting the recruitment of new women scientists, of providing early career support for women, um, holding seed grant uh, competitions, and offering mentoring, which is something that, again, I've known throughout my career is so important. What was exciting for me was to see the very quick response to this. As we started to talk about the initiative, I spoke with um, many women, including members of the CAMH Foundation Board of Directors. And as an example, Sandy Treliving immediately stepped up and, and called me and said how excited she and her family were about supporting this initiative. So it gave us the, the courage to believe that many others would see what we see and that closing the gender gap in mental health and in the careers of women scientists was really important thing to do. I want to talk about um, the, you know, the, the, the past year, really, and since the start of the pandemic, um, we've seen how much of a, of a negative impact uh, this crisis and all of the challenges that are linked to our new reality uh, during the pandemic is having on society's mental health. And we know that women especially um, are facing a, a heavy burden when it comes to this reality with the added pressure around responsibilities at home, uh, with job losses that are uh, in, in majority in sectors where women uh, are, are, are overly represented, represented whether it's uh, retail, entertainment, hospitality, and so on. And I think, you know, there's been a more press coverage and um, more attention in, in recent uh, weeks uh, about this reality and about uh, the specific challenges that women are facing. But should we be worried about what is going to be happening post-COVID and as we start looking to a future where vaccination will have happened in, in Canada over the next few months, um, you know, we are starting to see governments be reopening our economy. Um, what do you think you know, what is the outlook in your mind for uh, what women can expect? And what is the long-term effect that we'll still be seeing um, as a result of, you know, this this reality that we've been going through for uh, almost a year now? Yeah, there's, um, there's a lot to reflect on there. You know, I will start and go back to March of 2020. Um, in fact, the last in-person event that CAMH Foundation held was on International Women's Day when we announced the launch of our Women Mind Initiative. So, so it's sort of ironic in some ways that that was the case. And of course, so much has happened since that time. The world has mm -hmm. changed so significantly. I'm actually on the Women Mind uh, front really proud that despite launching just as the pandemic and shutdowns and so on were kicking off. Despite launching on that day, we've just made tremendous progress with the initiative. Um, we've launched our postdoctoral fellowship talent competition, the seed funding competition that I mentioned earlier. The first Triliving Family Women Mind Scientist is going to join CAMH in the spring. 
And in conjunction with the University of Toronto, we're recruiting for the inaugural Triliving Family Chair in Women's Mental Health. So there's been a lot of activity happen in that program. And interestingly, just as, as you've said, that happening at the same time that we're seeing so much related to the pandemic and the impact on women's mental health. For me, you know, and I think that this has been something a lot of people have talked about and drawn attention to is that the pandemic has unearthed many inequities and Mm -hmm. gender is just one example. And I've really encouraged uh, folks to look at the pandemic through an intersectional lens. So you're absolutely right. There is so much data that talks about the impact of the pandemic on women, that women are more likely to be in jobs that have been deemed essential across a a variety of different um, industries. But it's also true that um, women from racialized communities are even more likely to be in those jobs um, and represented in those roles. And so the impact on women, on their health, on their mental health has really been significant when you look at that direct impact and of course look at the job losses that women have faced. And there's just again many layers to this. It's It includes women facing domestic abuse. We have mm-hmm. seen a spike in statistics. Again, organizations reporting significant increase in um, domestic violence as women have been in their homes and with their partners. Um, Economists have called the pandemic the she session, session. um, really recognizing those job losses that women have experienced. And in fact, CAMH's own research has reported that women have higher levels of anxiety and loneliness uh, than men that parents with children under the age of 18 had higher levels of depression compared to adults without children in this um, age group. Nearly a quarter of women, almost 25% indicated experiencing moderate to severe anxiety during the pandemic, significantly higher than what we see with men. And we see the same gender gap around loneliness, uh, 23.3% of women versus just over 17% of men talking about how lonely they're feeling. There's very clear data to suggest that the pandemic has had a significant and disproportionate effect on women. And I think as we move toward uh, what we hope will be returning to normal, that paying attention to women and their experiences is really important. And that's partly why I started the answer to this question back at Women Mind, where mm-hmm. one of our objectives is to be sure that we were looking at the differences between men and women in terms of their mental health. And that's one of the things that I hope will continue, that um, organizations will remain conscious of the fact that solution strategies, initiatives that are being put in place need to understand and reflect the different needs of different communities um, as we move forward. That I think that's very that's very true, very interesting. And you brought up the reality for employers as well, um, which leads me to ask you, and CAMH being an employer working in mental health specifically, 
how do you approach that reality? How do you make sure that your your employees, including women, um, you know, are are uh, their, their, their own mental health is being accounted for and, and, and that you're offering the right, uh, the right solutions or right tools for them to, to cope during this period. And I'm asking the question for business owners, entrepreneurs that might be listening to us or other employers, um, to see if there's any, any lessons or any, any tools that you'd like to share with them. Yeah, it's a really good question. You know, the first thing that I'd say is, and I and I speak as the leader of an organization as well as one that is in the mental health space, that the first thing that I would say is the moment that we're living in and the pandemic has really called on all of us as leaders to, I think, lead with empathy, um, with flexibility, and the courage to be vulnerable. Um, I think for us as leaders, being open about our own experiences, um, how we're feeling during the pandemic, sharing openly what's going on, and and that means both celebrating what's good, but also acknowledging the challenges really helps. As in any um, true and authentic and transparent communication, when you are open as a leader about the challenges that you're facing, it makes it okay for your employees to be okay and to talk about the challenges that they're facing, as opposed to feeling that they need to kind of hide what's really going on. Mm-hmm. So that's the first piece, I think. And I think it's really critical um, as a starting point, given that we're living in a world where we're all inside each other's homes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that's, that's challenging for some in many different ways and requires us too as leaders to try and respect work-life boundaries and to put some practices in place that allow that to happen. We need to recognize that our employees are more than their jobs. They're, they are people with full and vibrant lives, and sometimes those lives are taking place right around them as a meeting is happening and kids are popping up or pets or whatever it might be on Zoom calls. And that, again, flexibility, um, that caring and empathy, that understanding Um, And helping employees draw boundaries, I think, is important because for many uh, people, I hear this from my own staff and from others that I talk to, it becomes harder to separate your work from your home when those boundaries are so completely blurred, to disconnect, to turn your computer off, to step away from a screen. Um, And I think the the things that we can do as leaders is, again, to try and role model. So I'll give Mm -hmm. you an example. There was a beautiful sunny day just a few weeks ago, and I sent an email to my entire staff and said, if we were in a schoolyard right now, I'd get out the bell and ring and say that we were all going out for recess to get some fresh air and sunshine, and I want to encourage everyone to do that. Anyone who can shut down your computer, go outside, take a break, enjoy the sunshine. And again, I I think that some of those simple examples and us as leaders saying, this is what I'm going to do now. I'm going out for a walk. I'm going to, you know, get some sunshine and fresh air because it will help me 
mentally, it will help my focus. It's a the right thing to do to step away. Um, mm. So those are some of the things that I, I think are really important. The other one is, you know, and again, this is something that we've practiced at the foundation during the course of the pandemic. Our mantra has been progress, not perfection. Mm. We've really tried to recognize that that for each of us, no one is performing at their very best. Um, these are challenging times and some days are easier than others for each of us. So recognizing we're moving forward one day at a time, we're taking a step, we won't always get it all right. And today won't always be the best and most productive day for each of us, but that's okay, has been a message that's really been, been reassuring for staff. This season of The Bren is Female is made possible with the support of TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs. Confidently building your business takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaboration-based approach. They work with both internal and external partners who can provide education, financing, mentorship, and community support. TD employees are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. They can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. My next question for you is, what do you think equity, gender equity in the world looks like? And a follow-up question to that is, what's still needed to get there? We know we've come a long way. We're still not at, at you know, full equity. We're reminded of that reality every day. And COVID has, you know, uh, put a put a spotlight on on that issue even even more. Um, so, how do we get there, and what will it look like? Oh, what will it look like? We will stop. Exactly. Well, you know, I, I look forward to the day when we stop counting first, you know, the first woman to do X. Um, I look forward to the day where, you know, we, we're talking about needing to advocate for men's representation on boards or leadership because there's so many women. I look forward to the day <laughs> when, you know, when the conversation about gender equity is one that is shared fully by men and women, that mm-hmm. that that men really step into and own the role that they play in advocating for and supporting gender equality. Um, and I, I guess most of all, I just look forward to the day where um, any little girl um, never has to question whether a job or role or something she might dream of is something she can do. For me, Mm -hmm. the moment in my life where I became just so aware of the stereotypes, the lack of role models, what that means for for girls in particular was when I was a candidate um, in the provincial election in Nova Scotia many years ago. And I was out canvassing one day, I knocked on the door, a little girl came to the door with her mother. When her mother explained why I was there, the little girl looked up, looked up at me and said, I thought only boys did that. Wow. I long for a day where no little girl ever 
believes that there is something and roles that are for girls versus boys. Um, and when we get there, when that thought no longer exists, and when the conversation about gender equality is one that men and women and all genders share together, um, that will be a happy day. And mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're getting closer. I, I think that the generation of young people that I see and work and work with and know, and um, I see that shift happening, and uh, and that gives me optimism for the future. You've worked in sectors that are traditionally, uh, or where women are traditionally underrepresented, including politics, uh, public administration, uh, and so on. Um, what was what was that experience like for you? And how did you deal and maybe even continue to deal today with, um, you know, challenges around uh, and with the example you just brought, right, or, or, of somebody who thinks that a woman in politics is a surprising thing. So how did you deal with, um, with the critics, with uh, individuals along your path who may have been, uh, you know, stuck in that old mindset of uh, limits that are that are imposed on women, and um, and what would be your advice for women who still kind of face those challenges or experience uh, those moments in in you know in today's world? Yeah, I mean, those moments are real, um, and I experienced them in my career. Um, I observed them. I um, I've shared a story about early on in my career having the leader of the organization that I was working for see a woman walk into a room. He assumed that she was a secretary, administrative assistant. She was, in fact, a constitutional lawyer. Um, and he said, oh, the world is so difficult now. The lawyers look like secretaries and secretaries look like lawyers. And wow. while I fully support any man or woman in their decision to pursue either of those career options, what bothered me and what I saw in that was that he made an assumption about what her career was based on no information other than the fact she was a woman. And, you know, those kinds of experiences, so many women have had where it's assumed that they are in a certain role or it's assumed that they lack ambition or it's assumed that they don't have the skills to take on different roles. Of course, I want to see all of that change. For me personally, um, you know, I, I guess I was guilty of of something I, again, I talk about a lot, which is I often just did what many women do. We work really hard. We put our mm -hmm. heads down. We, you know, as, as the research shows, women need to work twice as hard to be recognized for what they've done. And, and that has been true for me and for many women that I've known. But most importantly, and I think if I look back over the course of my career, and the different sectors and the different experiences that I've had, what's been key to my ability to navigate is to surround myself with um, a group of men and women who have acted as mentors and sponsors to me, people that I've been able to turn to for advice, 
to draw on their experience, to ask for their help, to um, you know just help me navigate some of those situations. And I think when you've got that kind of support and people that you can talk to, it it makes a it makes a significant difference. Um, and again, you know, I, I've said a couple of times that I think that the role of men in these conversations about gender equality are really critical because having men call out those behaviors um, when the whether it's a a joke or a negative or dismissive comment is made um, to ensuring that there are voices, you know, really advocating for women and their abilities can, uh, you know, makes a real difference in many of those discussions. I, I, I would agree with that. And uh, what would be your advice for um, young women who are considering uh, a career in STEM or uh, specifically even in mental health. Uh, and, and now that, you know, we know the, all the options are, are available to young women and uh, in, in this sector, we're, we're very much looking forward to, to having more women stepping up. Um, what would be, a, you know, a good way of developing a network like the one you refer to, for example, which can be a, a great key to success? Um, and maybe some other advice that you have for them as they're considering uh, a career choice. Yeah, you know, th there's that old expression that it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I like to say to women, it's actually who knows what you know. Um, like so flip it around. And the reason that I often like to talk to that in terms of, of giving advice to young women is, it's a reminder to not do what I started my career doing, which is just put your head down, work really hard. You know, people will notice. That's our expectation. Really understand early on in your career that relationships, that people who see and know you and what you are able to do are critical. So investing time in relationship building, in getting to know people um, is a critical part of your career development. Mm -hmm. um, so there, there's often a, a feeling and it becomes challenging for women as we're, again, um, for those of us who would have children or family responsibilities that we're trying to juggle to make time to invest in those relationships, but it needs to be a priority because I can assure you that there will come a point when the differentiator for who gets offered an opportunity is the person who has a voice around the table saying, I know her, I've worked with her, she's fantastic, she can do this job. Mm -hmm. And again, the investment in those relationships, really, really important. The second is to, to recognize the difference between a mentor and a sponsor. And, mm. you know, a lot of us talk about the importance of mentors, and I'm one of them. It's critical to have people who can really, as I said earlier, offer advice, perspective based on their own experience, help you think through a problem, how to navigate a tricky situation, whatever it might be. It's invaluable. But there's a big difference between a, spawn, uh, a mentor who offers that kind of advice and a sponsor. A mentor talks to you. 
a sponsor talks about you. Mm-hmm. And having someone, as I said earlier, be that voice who kind of lends their credibility, their voice to you can be so critical to whether you get that next assignment or promotion or opportunity. So invest in those relationships, take the time, um, and don't be afraid to ask. Um, If there's someone in your organization who you admire, who you'd like to get to know, in my experience, if you reach out to someone and say, you know, I really admire you and your career and what you've done, would you spend 30 minutes with me to have a coffee and and offer me some advice? People will do it. Um, mm-hmm. They will make the time. So um, don't be afraid to ask. And speaking of young women interested in a, in a career in mental health, um, I, I want to ask you, what are the, the gender gaps that still exist in mental health specifically and what are you doing to help address them and, and narrow the gap? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, Women Mind is one of the initiatives that, that we've launched at CAMH. I think CAMH is uniquely placed um, in terms of advocating for uh, gender equity um, in mental health, both in terms of the advancement of women's careers, but also the work. So. CAMH is Canada's largest and leading hospital and research center in the area of mental health. And so we have a unique opportunity and frankly, I believe a unique responsibility to focus on these issues. Many um, in the psychiatric profession are um, educated and do training at CAMH. So as one of the largest educators in the area of mental health, we, we have that opportunity because Um, Again, we have these young and brilliant minds coming into our facility. We know that women are underrepresented in senior roles in science. Again, um, I'm really proud of the fact that CAMH is a place where so many of the senior executives of the hospital are, are women. Our CEO is a woman. Our physician-in-chief is a woman. The chief operating officer of the hospital is a woman. I could go on. Um, They're just really inspiring role models for women. And then because we are such a large institution in terms of the research and work that we do in mental health, again, we have the opportunity to really lead the way because of the size and numbers of of people both that we treat, train, and work with in the hospital. My last question, uh, which is also my favorite question to ask guests on this show, is what do you wish women would do more of? And we, we know you want them to go, you know, in science and in the field of mental health. But other than that, generally speaking, what should women do more of? You know, I, I actually find this a hard question, and I'll, and I'll explain why. Um, it's partly because the what should women do more of suggests that women aren't doing enough already, and that it's kind of our fault that we're not equitably represented and, and have the same opportunities that men. So there's a little bit of the feminist in me that says, we're already doing everything that we should be. We need the rest of the world to change and to, you know, meet us halfway. Um, Mm -hmm. 
But what I would say is fair, fair enough. And and you could answer by saying it could also be what women should do less of. Yeah. I'm open to all the all the types of answers. What I would say that I hope women do more of is that they have the confidence to see in themselves what the people who know them, work with them, love them, see in them. Um, and I think for many of us, um, we just don't see ourselves the way others do. And if we could all have the confidence to see the potential we have that those around us see that really gives us the courage to step out and seize those opportunities, I think that would be fantastic. So I, I'd like to see women embrace their own power and confidence. I think that's wonderful advice. And uh, even, even as a feminist, that is something that we can stand for. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you today. Uh, you shared some, some very insightful things and, and practical advice. Thank you very much. Lovely to talk to you. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs, for the support of The Brand is Female. You got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening. I'll be back in a week with a new guest. Yeah.